You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. My name's Tom, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm going to be speaking for the next 30 minutes or so. If you're unfamiliar with, with how we do things at Hope Church, we tend to go through um, series, teaching series, and we're starting a new series today called New Year's Revolution, and we're going to be in this series for the next four weeks. And before we get there, I just want to share some uh, news that will concern you all. Um, it will be in your um, Life at Hope um, leaflets that you will hopefully will take home with you, but uh, as of next Sunday, and for every Sunday after that, we will gonna, we're going to change the times of our services to 9.30 and 11.15. And uh, there's, uh, last year, you may not be aware, but we multiplied to two services on Sundays so we could make more room at the table. And I'm glad to say that that's gone really, really well. Uh, as a church, you've responded so, so well uh, to this. Many of you have stepped up into serving teams and um, just playing a key part in uh, welcoming people into the church here. So thank you for that. And uh, we want, we're just so keen that we're able to, particularly with our first service at, uh, until... Um, this week has started at 9 a.m. We're so keen that people are able to be there on time to welcome people. And so we're just shifting the service time slightly. But 9.30 and 11.15. Come, why don't you come for 11, uh, as you would anyway. <clears throat> then you're a little bit early so that you can say hello to people from the other service. We're one church that meets over two services. So that's a bit of news just to make sure you remember uh, for next week. Okay, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there now. Mark is in the New Testament. It's one of the biographies of Jesus' life, and uh, it's the second book in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 28 onwards. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, that's Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So at the outset of this year, you might be asking yourself, What is my my big priority? What is it that I need to make my goal this year? And Jesus has asked that question, essentially. What is the biggest priority in my life? And Jesus answers them, love God. Love the Lord with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And to love each other as you love yourself. These are the priorities that Jesus would have for us, not just for the beginning of the year, but for every day and every year. We're to pursue devotion to God. That's what I want to talk about this morning, the priority of devotion. In our vision statement as a church, we are wanting to see Christ followers who are passionate about God, who are in partnership together and who are on, have a purpose, a missional purpose. And we really want to see people who are passionate about God, devoted to him. 
Not just to know that God exists, not just to um, tick a box and say, yeah, I believe some things, but actually to know God personally. That is what God has for us. That's what he wants for us, to walk with him in friendship, in intimacy. That's the key to fullness of life. Okay, we might think it's many, many other things that uh, uh, we might pursue, but actually the key to fullness of life is to know God, is to walk with him. And the crucial part of knowing someone is communication, to actually talk with and walk with God, to pray. And I'm going to speak about prayer this morning. When I'm talking about devotion to God, I'm going to be speaking a lot about prayer. The reality is, I think that many of us don't pray much. And I want to suggest a few reasons why we don't pray much. I think for many here, our reality would be that we pray when we're in an emergency. That normally we kind of get by in our own strength and uh, we don't really come to God for much. We don't thank him for much. And so when things are going well, we're quite pleased with ourselves. But when things go wrong, we blame God. I think that's the reality for many of us here this morning. So why don't we pray much? Well, perhaps it's that disappointment has crept in. Maybe you've prayed for something and it's not been answered or it's been delayed. And it might have meant that you're disappointed with God. We read in John chapter 14 and verse 14, Jesus says this, You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So maybe you've read that verse and you think, well, no, actually, I, I prayed for something one time and it didn't happen, Jesus. So what's going on there? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with you? Can I trust you that when I pray that actually you're going to answer? We almost think that this needs to come with like a little asterisk and a terms and conditions apply kind of thing. You know, when you go into the sales shopping in January and you see these big posters that say 80% off and you think, oh, I'm going to go and get myself a bargain. And then you look a little bit more closely, and there's a tiny, tiny font which says up to 80% off. And you look around the store and think, where are all these goods that are 80% off? And you realize there's only one item that's an extra, extra, extra large belt that can't possibly be any use to you that is 80% off. And that's how they get away with saying it's 80% off, because there's one item that might be reduced that much. We kind of feel that with this promise of Jesus, when he says, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it, we, we feel it needs to come with a little asterisk. It says, terms and conditions apply. Disappointment can play a huge part in our prayerlessness. We don't stop believing in God, but we kind of keep him at a distance. We become functional deists. He's, he's real. I, you know, I know he's real, but I don't really talk to him much. And we can kind of dull our souls with the narcotic of activity and entertainment. We fill our lives with stuff so that we don't come before God, so that we don't actually walk with him. Or we say we're too busy to pray when the reality is that many of us here will have spent probably 15 or 20 minutes this morning scrolling through ridiculous videos on Facebook that have absolutely no um, value for us, no meaning for us. And then we'll say, I haven't got time to pray. When actually, if we actually had a, a timer on the amount of time that we spend on social media or from watching TV that we're not really that interested in, then we would find that we have plenty of time to pray. We get distracted by meaningless stuff. You do, I do, we're all in it together. Perhaps we don't pray because we have believed lies about God. Maybe we believe that he's distant, that he's not interested, that he's absent. And many of us flounder through life without truly talking with God, without walking with him, without enjoying a relationship with him. And it's tragic. It's tragic. Maybe we think we don't pray impressively enough. Maybe we think we need to be more eloquent. We've heard some people pray and we think, I can't possibly measure up to that. God's not going to be interested in me because I don't pray in a certain way. I stumble over my words when I pray. And what this leads to 
when we don't walk with God, what it leads to is anxiety. It leads to joylessness. It leads to kind of spiritual laziness. We kind of just get a bit depressed. But to know God, to walk with him, is life in all its fullness. That's what we've been created for. So when that's absent, when that's not in our lives, of course it's going to lead to those things. Of course it's going to lead to us being devoid of joy. Of course it's going to lead to us being anxious about things. I think anxiety is a huge issue for us. I don't think it's just a a generational thing. I think anxiety is a huge issue and we can get caught up with worry about things. It can cause us to be joyless and we try and um, escape from anxiety by delving into all kinds of stuff where we can just try and forget about what it is that we're worrying about. But God wants us to come to him with it. So if this is you, if prayerlessness is a word that could describe your life, then what I want to suggest this morning that what is needed is not a New Year's resolution, but actually a revolution, a dramatic change in your thinking, a dramatic change in your practice. That is what is needed. It's not just a kind of, I want to resolve, I'm going to do a bit better with prayer this year, but actually complete change is needed. This is why we're calling this series New Year's Revolution. You might have it in mind to get fit this year. That could be wise. It is wise to get fit, but it's not going to fulfill you. You might have it in mind to get organized this year. That's wise, but it's not going to fulfill you. It might be that you want to eat healthier food this year. That's wise, but it isn't going to bring satisfaction in life. Only walking with God, only knowing him will be the thing that satisfies. So my prayer this morning is that we as a church will grow more in our love for God. That as a church, we will, through prayer, come to know him and walk with him more closely. That we, this year and in the years to come, will be devoted to him. Maybe sometimes people ask you, how is your spiritual life? How is your walk with God? And one of our responses might be, well, I'm not really praying as much as I should. Or I'm not really reading my Bible as much as I should. Those come, can sometimes be responses that I hear if I'm asking someone, how is your walk with God? Now, these things are a means to an end. They're not the end in and of themselves. We've not been saved so we can read our Bible. We've not been saved, ultimately, so that we can get down onto our knees. No, we've been saved to know God. And reading the Bible, prayer, these things, and other spiritual disciplines, coming to church, these are means to an end. The end is knowing God. Is walking with him, knowing him intimately and closely. So this morning I want to talk about prayer. I'm going to talk about the basis of prayer. I'm going to talk about the means of prayer and I'm going to talk about the content of prayer. So the basis of prayer. I think the biggest reason that I haven't yet mentioned that we don't pray is guilt. I think that's the biggest reason, guilt and shame. I think that's the biggest reason we don't come before God and walk with him. I think it's shame. I think that we, many of us, go through this cycle whereby we, we know what God expects of us, we know how he wants us to live our lives, and we in some way fall down in that respect, and then we kind of get into this place of, I don't think I can come before God, I'm ashamed of myself, what, what must God think of me, and therefore I'm not going to come before him, because he wouldn't want to hear from me, he wouldn't want to have me request things of him and ask things from him, because I'm just ashamed of myself. And this has been a problem that has gone on since the beginning of time. Because Adam and Eve, the first humans, they, in the garden, they went their own way, they disobeyed God, and then God goes looking for them and says, where are you? They're hiding, they've ran and they've hidden. 
because they're ashamed of themselves. And I believe that for many, many people here, this is a perpetual cycle that we get stuck in. And then an emergency happens, an urgent situation arises where we need God's help. That's, we've tried, you know, in our shame, we've hidden from him, and we've tried to make it work ourselves, but now we need God to come through for us on something. And so we kind of just sort of crawl on our knees backwards before God and say, God, I know you don't really want to hear from me, but if only you'd do this, I will never sin ever again. This is a ridiculous statement to make. And maybe none of us have said those words to that extent, but that's kind of what we do. Am I right? I don't know if people are looking at me because it's just they're thinking, what are you on about, Tom? Or because this is actually a cycle that we can get stuck in. Now, thank God, the basis for prayer, the basis for friendship with him, the basis for uh, us knowing him intimately is not our own morality, but it's that Jesus Christ has won for us a way to know God. We come before God in Jesus' name. And I want to recommend to you this morning a really helpful book uh, called A Praying Life. It's by Paul Miller, and uh, having read it recently, I've been immensely helped by it. My prayer life has been affected um, by it, and we've got copies of it for sale this morning over, uh, over in the corner over there, and they, these are three pounds cheaper than you can get them on Amazon. Can I hear a woo? And uh, there's some copies left. I know a lot of them got snapped up after the, after the first service, but it's an excellent book, and I want to read to you from it now. This is what Paul Miller says in A Praying Life. Imagine that your prayer is a poorly dressed beggar, reeking of alcohol and body odor, stumbling toward the palace of the great king. You have become your prayer. As you shuffle toward the barred gate, the guards stiffen. Your smell has preceded you. You stammer out a message for the great king. I I, I want to see the king. Your words are barely intelligible, but you whisper one final word. Jesus, I come in the name of Jesus. At this, at the name of Jesus, as if by magic, the palace comes alive. The guards snap to attention, bowing low in front of you. Lights come on and the door flies open. You are ushered into the palace and down a long hallway into the throne room of the great king who comes running to you and wraps you in his arms. The name of Jesus, writes Paul Miller, gives our prayers royal access. They get through. Jesus isn't just the saviour of my soul. He's also the saviour of my prayers. My prayers come before the throne of God as the prayers of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's good news. Asking in Jesus' name isn't another thing that I have to get right so my prayers are perfect. It's one more gift of God because my prayers are so imperfect. Is this sinking in this morning? We come before God in Jesus' name. That means we can approach God in the same way that Jesus can approach God. Why? Because something has happened that is so significant for us. Jesus Christ has taken our sin and our shame upon himself on the cross. He died a death that we deserve for our disobedience before God and has risen to life. And he has, for those who have placed their faith in him, he has clothed in righteousness. The perfect righteousness of Jesus himself, that the way in which he lived his life in perfect obedience to God has been credited to your account. It's, been, it's like you've been clothed in it, and that's how you come before God. That's how it's possible. So it's not, a, it's not on the basis of your own morality or of your own measuring up. It's on the basis of Jesus. We come before God in Jesus' name. 
That's good news, isn't it? Five people think it's good news. Jesus never fell into temptation. He never had a reason to hide from God. He never knew shame for the things he'd done. And we now are clothed in that righteousness. So because of his work on the cross and through his resurrection, we now have access to God. We can come before God on his throne and ask and talk with him and be devoted to him because of what he's done. He's taken the initiative. We're not just acceptable to God. We are invited to come before him. My kids are not just acceptable to me. I want them to come to me. This is the way that God now is postured towards you and I. He wants you to come to him. I love it. When my kids come to me, I say, come and show me that toy. Come and show me what you're doing. Show me that picture. My son, who can't really say many words, he just comes and sticks his finger up my nose and pulls my ears. I love it. I want him to come to me. This is the way that God is towards us now. Because of who we are in Christ, he beckons us to him in the same way that he beckons his son Jesus to him. We need to let this sink into us today. This is the basis of our prayers. Now, for some, this message won't land very well because you uh, haven't had a good earthly father. None of us have had perfect earthly fathers. Some of you have had really bad earthly fathers. And so when you hear about God being a father, it doesn't necessarily encourage you to want to come before him because your experience of a father is so downright awful that you can only associate that with God. You know, God has to use pictures of himself that are imperfect because it's the only way we'll understand them. So he has to use a picture of a father to show us what he's like to us. In the same way that when we talk of Jesus being the king, none of us have ever seen a perfect king, have we? So, so the picture of Jesus being a king isn't even complete for us because we can't picture what a perfect king, a perfect ruler might look like. The early Christians, they called Jesus Lord and yet the only person at that time who was to be called Lord was Caesar. And he wasn't very just in so many ways. And yet they attributed this title to Jesus as Lord because he was in charge. He was sovereign. He was the boss. He was the one they looked to and obeyed. And so when it comes to God being our father, we need to try and push aside all of the experiences of an earthly father that we've had that are negative and come to see that Jesus teaches us to come before God as our Father. He says, this is how you should pray, our Father who is in heaven. And the word for Father is Abba, which kids in, in those times in the Hebrew language, it meant Dad. Dad. That's how they could approach their own earthly fathers. And Jesus is saying, we come before God in that same way. We say, Dad, Father, I'm here. It's your son. It's your daughter. I'm here before you. He's in heaven He's not like us. It means he's set apart. It means he has all resources in the universe at his, disposable, at, his, at his disposal. He's set apart, and yet he's not absent. He's incredibly close. He's incredibly powerful, and yet we can draw near. Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 to 7, Paul writes this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. We're no longer slaves. We're sons. We're daughters. Jesus has made us 
one of his siblings. We are, we are sons and daughters of God. So we come before God as our Father. That's the basis of our prayer. What's the means of our prayer? Well, it's planned and it's integrated. Firstly, we have to plan to pray. Don Carson, who's um, a great preacher in America, he says this, much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. We do not drift into spiritual life. We do not drift into disciplined prayer. We will not grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. That means we must self-consciously set aside time to do nothing but pray. We see right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark that we read from earlier, Jesus, um, he heals the the mother-in-law of Peter, who was one of his mates. I don't know how Peter felt about that. But uh, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, who's on her deathbed. And unsurprisingly, the next day, Jesus is in high demand. He's incredibly high demand. Everyone wants a piece of him, understandably. And yet he's nowhere to be found. And when they do find him, he's praying early in the morning. We see this is what he did. He went off to pray, to be with God. He was busy, and yet he set aside time. He planned to pray. And this is the pattern of the psalmists as well. We see in the psalms these songs that we find, these great songs and poetry. Again and again and again we see, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Or I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. And Lord, I cry out to you in the morning. Do we have to pray solely in the morning? No. Jesus prayed in the evening as well. But there was a pattern of setting aside time at the outset of the day to pray, to cast our cares on God, to cast our anxieties on him, to give everything to him. That was the pattern that would set the day off. This requires really some discipline. It requires going to bed at a decent time. I'm convinced that for my generation, this is a massive problem. So I'm going to be 30 in a few months' time, so you can work out whether or not you consider yourself in my generation or not, based on that. I think this is a huge problem. Because unlike probably 20, 25 years ago, when the TV at about 10 p.m. would suddenly become, it would either switch off or it would be really nothing worth watching. The thing we have now is that at 10 p.m., which seems like a sensible time to go to bed, there's Netflix, there's Amazon Prime, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's Snapchat, there's WhatsApp. There's all kinds of social media outlets we can give our time to. And so we kind of find ourselves not getting to bed We find ourselves going uh, late into the night or into the early hours of the morning without getting enough sleep. And so come the morning, we can't get up in the morning. We can't actually rouse ourselves to pray. I'm just going to show you something on the screens right now. I want to just ask you, which kind of person are you? Are you the person on the right who sets the alarm at 7 a.m. because you know you need to get up and about? Or are you the person on the left who has to set an alarm every five minutes uh, for about half an hour so that you can get out of bed? If you're the person on the left... It might be the case that you are not getting up, getting to bed early enough. It might be that actually you need to go to bed earlier so that you can get up and spend time with God in prayer. Now, the other problem we've got here is that these smartphones, as wonderful as they are, not only do they allow us to set numerous alarms so that we actually don't take the first alarm or the second or the third very seriously at all, is that also, as we wake up, we can... Rather than um, getting on our knees before God and saying, God, I need you this morning. I'm relying on you this morning. We can get up and we can think, who needs me? Oh, oh, someone's WhatsApp me. Oh, someone sent me a, a message on Facebook. 
Oh, and uh, oh, what's, what's Donald Trump been up to now? Oh, and uh, uh, all kinds of things we can distract ourselves with. And I, I'm saying this because I'm speaking from experience here. You can spend 15, 20 minutes just browsing things on your smartphone before you've even spoken to God. And actually, you can probably fill your mind with more anxiety as you read emails and see what's coming up in your calendar that day than you know, before you've even acknowledged God at all. Sometimes people, even before they've acknowledged their spouse if they're married, will spend 20 minutes browsing their phone. And so we need to get this right. We need to get some discipline into our lives. I actually have brought with me this morning a revolutionary device that uh, it cost me about six pounds. I've had to keep it in its box um, because it's very dangerous if it was to fall into the wrong hands. It's called an alarm clock. And this alarm clock doesn't actually allow you to browse the internet. It wakes you up and it, it creates an alarm that you have to listen to. You can't set numerous alarms on it, so you actually get up and out of bed. So I would just highly recommend that to you this morning. We must plan to pray. We must set aside time to pray and be with God. There's so many distractions for us when it comes to prayer. And I fear, honestly, for my generation, that ill discipline in this regard is actually, it's it's causing us to become distant from God because it's straight into social media and then it's straight to work because I haven't haven't even spent enough time to even uh, have a proper shave or whatever because I've just been sucked in straight away to entertainment and busyness. And actually, we need to come uh, and get before God in quiet. Shut the door, Jesus says, doesn't he? When, he says, when he teaches his disciples how to pray, he says, shut the door. That just basically means shut out the world. Shut out the world, get before God. So prayer is designated, it's planned, but it's also integrated. The Apostle Paul, 12 times in his letters, talks about his prayer life. He uses um, things like this. He says, um, praying most earnestly, day and night, continuing steadfastly in prayer, Praying at all times in the Spirit. And when he's writing to these young churches that he's planted, Romans 12, he says, be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. So we can go in and out of prayer throughout our days at given moments. Pray. Pray when you're anxious. I've talked about anxiety already this morning. In Philippians 4, it says, don't be anxious. The Lord is at hand. Present your requests to him. Let your requests be known to him. When we have anxiety coming to us, don't, don't, uh, don't go to escapism, whether that be stuffing your face with food or turning to alcohol or going on social media and think, I'm just going to block out all of these worries right now because I'm going to look at whatever someone was up to on their holiday. Don't turn to cigarettes. Don't turn to binge-watching Netflix shows. No, when Anxiety comes, this is, a spring, this is a, the potential for a springboard to prayer here. Anxiety isn't just a thing necessarily for our generation. This has gone on for thousands of years. But it's a springboard, it's an opportunity to pray. It's a doorway to prayer. Arrest that thought, say, well, what, am I, what am I worried about right now? What's underneath that? I'm going to pray. I'm going to give it to God. I'm not going to turn to the many things that I could turn to right now that are just going to push the problem off a little bit that are just going to delay it by 15 minutes or half a day, because I'm going to be worried about it later on. I rest it right there and say, no, what is underneath that? I'm going to turn it to prayer. I'm going to lay it before God. I'm going to let my requests be known to him. Paul Miller, whose book I've recommended, he says this, learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. In the midst of outer busyness, 
we can develop an inner quiet. Do you want an inner quiet in your life in 2017? You know, many of you are busy people, most of you busy, busy people, with responsibilities in work or the family, lots of things going on your shoulders. You know, God doesn't offer us a less busy life, but it's possible to know peace within. It's possible to have a less busy heart. So we have designated prayer when we plan to pray, and then we integrate prayer into our days. We pray when we're anxious. We pray when we're frustrated. We pray when we're angry. We pray when we need guidance. We give it to God in prayer. And then we find that we're praying throughout the day. Finally, the content of our prayer. Simply put, we meet with God, we talk with him, we enjoy him. Jesus clears down the table of clutter when it comes to prayer. He says, you don't need to worry about sounding impressive. You, you know, people, these religious guys, they love to stand on the street corners and they're so impressive with their prayers. They sound amazing, but it's not about that at all. It's not about trying to basically recite as many Bible verses as possible in your prayer. You know, when you're friends with God, you talk to him as you are. When you're with your friends, when you're with real friends, you let the guard down. There's no pretense. You're just who you are. You're just the person that you really, really are when you're with real friends. This is the kind of relationship that God is inviting us into with him, that we would talk with him as we are. Tell him where you're weary. Tell him where you're frustrated. Tell him where you're worried. He already knows it. He already knows it. And in bringing your real self to Jesus... You give him the opportunity to work on the real you. If you take some sort of masquerade to Jesus, then really your, your real heart, your real life is not going to be affected as you spend time with him. He has to be the king of your life, not a life that doesn't really exist. Be real with God. Maybe you've always been taught to do it right. There's certain ways you have to pray. There's certain ways you have to kind of approach God. Clear the table down here. Jesus says, come to God and say, our Father. Our Father. He's my Father. I can come to him and tell him how I'm feeling. How silly is it to pretend otherwise? He sees everything. He knows you're, you're waking up and you're lying down. He knows it all. How silly is it to pretend otherwise? God doesn't get disillusioned with you because he never had any illusions about you in the first place. So come to him as you are. Thank him for his mercy. I love to start my times of prayer with thanks. To thank him for the mercy that he showed me. You know, I'm so ill-deserving of his mercy, and yet he's not treated me as my sins deserve. He's shown me grace. He's treated me far better than my sins deserve. You know, this is a way to cultivate thankfulness. Thankfulness is like a, a massive log on the fire when it comes to devotion to God. Thankfulness is a huge deal. The opposite to thankfulness is entitlement, bitterness. If what you think you have is greater than what you think you deserve, that's where thankfulness comes from. Okay, But if what you think you deserve is greater than what you think you have, then that's where bitterness comes from. Bitterness kills devotion to God because we think we're deserving of far more. When really, when we, when we honestly assess our lives in light of God's standards, we realize we don't deserve anything at all. And all that God has given us is far, far more than we deserve. And it produces within us thankfulness and it's, it fuels devotion. It fuels that love for God. We love him in response to the way he's loved us. He first loved us. It's in reply to his love that we love him back. It's not something we have to muster up from within. No, it's when we realize all that he's done for us, the way in which he's loved us, then we love him in reply.
So we tell him how we're doing. We offer up the real us. We're thankful and we're specific with God. We ask him, let your requests be known to him, Paul writes in Philippians 4. Let them requests be known to God. What is it that you're requesting? Your prayers might be immature at first. Ask God to shape your desires. But you know, Jesus was real with God. He told God what it was that he wanted him to do. Now there's loads of prayer that we don't get in on. There's probably thousands of prayers that Jesus prayed that the disciples never overheard. But we know that Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he was going to be crucified, he's on his knees in agony before God and he's saying, If there's any way you can take this cup away from me, take it from me. He knew what he was there to do. He knew why he'd come to earth. He knew what it was the Father had asked of him. And yet he's on his knees and saying, if there's any way, God, take this cup away from me. He was real with God. He was real with his Father. And yes, we know that a little while later he says, but yet not my will, but your will be done. He started with just pouring his heart out to God, saying exactly what it was that was on his heart. The next day as he's on the cross, he's crying out, why have you forsaken me? He knows why God's forsaken him. It was for our sake that God forsook Jesus. But he's pouring out his heart to him. And he's able to say, into your hands I commit my spirit. So often we rush off from uh, you know, what it is that we're requesting God of God. And we rush into, but not my will, but your will be done. Let's be real with God. Let's tell him how we're feeling. Let's pour our hearts out to him. Let's ask him for the things that we want. What's the point in pretending otherwise? We think we must ask for noble things. God will help. He'll change our hearts. He'll change our desires in time. Present your requests to God. You know, Jesus, I think we've been unhelped by depictions of Jesus in films over the years when Jesus kind of floats around very calmly and speaks in a monotone voice, and looks quite wimpish, and you kind of want to put a pin in him to see if he's real. And he kind of, nothing shocks him. He's never passionate. He's never really, you know, Jesus, I believe, was the most passionate man that has ever lived. Before God, I, you know, we've all, we get glimpses of his prayer life. I think he was passionate before God. And we mustn't think that we just have to have it all together in prayer. Jesus was real before him. He presented his requests to him. What's our confidence before God? Well, it's that God is our Father, so He loves us. His posture towards us is come to me, beckoning us, but He's also in heaven. That means He has all resources, so He's able to answer. Our confidence is in the fact that the Lord, Yahweh, as the Hebrews would have called Him, is my shepherd. So the Lord is high and, and lifted up and, and the creator of all things. He's my shepherd. That means he's interested in me. He knows me. He actually knows where I'm going every single day. He sees my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. Finally, he's the one who dwells in the high and holy place, we read in the Psalms, and yet his presence is with him who is lowly and contrite. That's the confidence we have. God is able and he loves us. He's able and he loves us. So in the light of all this, Jesus commands us to have faith like little children when it comes to prayer, that we're to be like little children. Little children believe that their parents are concerned with absolutely everything. I, I, I get jabbed in the ribs all the time. Daddy, see this picture. And I'm thinking, oh, what is it? I'm not quite sure what it is. And it's clearly a picture of me or, or I don't know. Uh, they, they believe that I'm interested in it. Little children don't, they, they believe that their, their parents can do anything. 
One of my daughters asked me the other day, Daddy, can you make it snow? And I said, no, I can't, but Jesus can, so let's ask him. So we're, one of our prayers right now is, Jesus, will you give us some snow? And he will do, I'm sure. It might not be this year, it might be in the years to come, but Jesus will give us some snow. Little children aren't daunted by the size of their parents. My, I must look absolutely enormous for my children. They must look at me and think, man, he's huge. But they're not daunted by it. When we have faith like little children, we come before God with confidence. Little children ask persistently. They ask without ceasing. They don't have a give-up mode. They keep going. And Jesus tells two stories about persistent asking. One of a neighbor who desperately bangs on his neighbor's door, asking for some bread in the middle of the night. And another of a widow who had an injustice committed against her. And she's going to the judge in her town who's unjust. And she's saying, give me justice and give me justice. And she won't let go of him until he provides the justice. What made them persistent in prayer was not that they were particularly strong, but because they were desperate. Desperation is at the heart of persistent prayer. When we realize that we can't do it, we come before God and we persistently ask him. I remember one time when one of our daughters had been misbehaving, we removed a toy from her bed. She'd been misbehaving before bed. We explained that because of this, we were going to be taking one of her toys away. Now, before you think we're really, really harsh parents, she has several other toys in bed with her, okay? So we took this toy away, Peppa Pig, and uh, everything went well. And there's a lot of, yeah, oohs and ahs going on right now. Pepper is, is, is semi-idle, you know, status. And uh, uh, we've taken Peppa Pig away. She gets to sleep fine. And then it's at 3 a.m. when she realizes that Pepper is not there in her bed. And so we hear again and again, Peppa Pig! Peppa Pig! And time travels very slowly at that time of the morning. If you're a, uh, a parent of young children, you probably appreciate that. And it felt like an hour. It probably wasn't that long, but it felt like an hour. And uh, I'm the kind of bad cop in the, the parenting relationship. And um, so I'm the one who says, no, we're not going to give in. She needs to learn that she cannot behave like that without any consequences. And um, Sarah's saying, I think we should go in. I think we should give her Peppa Pig. And gradually, we're getting more and more desperate for sleep that... I cave in, eventually. I cave, she gets Peppa Pig back, and I don't know if the lesson was learned about her behavior or not, I don't know, but we needed some sleep. And Jesus is saying, look at these stories. He says, see what the judge ends up doing. He's an unjust judge, and he relents. And he says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. So sometimes we're to come to God persistently, knocking on his door. One preacher says, so often in prayer, we're like little children who go and knock on someone's door and run away before they ask. Actually, sometimes God would have us knock on his door repeatedly. And there's things in the life of the church that we're praying for at our prayer and vision nights where we're saying, God, we keep, we're going to keep coming to you about this until you relent, until you answer. This is sometimes how God wants us to get hold of him in prayer because it shows that we have faith. It shows that we know we can come confidently. The Apostle James writes in his letter, you don't have because you don't ask. And sometimes when we go back to that promise of Jesus earlier on, where he says, ask me for anything in my name and this I'll do, sometimes we think, well, I asked for that before and it didn't happen, so I'm going to stop asking. We need to fall on the other side of that and say, no, I'm going to keep asking. 
I'm going to keep asking. Don't allow disappointment in prayer to let you stop asking. Keep asking. Keep coming to God with your requests. We ask that the kingdom would advance here on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking that in Ipswich and in Suffolk and in Essex and in the east of England and in Europe and elsewhere, that God's kingdom would advance. We're asking that he will give us our daily bread, that he'd give us all the resources that we need as a church and as individuals. We're asking that he would forgive us. We're asking that he would help us to forgive others. How often do we need his help just to forgive others? We're asking that he would not, not lead us into temptation, but that he would deliver us from evil. We're asking, 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 coming to him, letting our requests be known to him. So I want to encourage you to step out in prayer, to ask God for things, to be specific about things. Sometimes we don't pray very specifically. We pray quite vaguely, and then we're not really sure whether or not God's answered that prayer, because it might just have happened anyway. But when you pray specifically, you know that God has answered it or not. I was speaking with a friend of mine a few months ago, and There was a relationship that had broken down with him and someone else and he hadn't spoken to that person in some years. And uh, he was really just kind of realizing that there needed to be some reconciliation there. There There needed to be some things said. And so he prayed and journaled it, said, God, I want to speak to that person tomorrow. And lo and behold, the next day, that person who he had not spoken to in four years got in touch with him and they were able to put things behind them, put things right. Just one example of specific prayer. Another one, um, about three years ago, pretty much exactly three years ago, Sarah and I were um, looking at houses in Ipswich. We were moving from Southampton to Ipswich, and um, uh, we were selling our house up in Southampton, and we, we said to God, God, by the time we look at houses in Ipswich, we want to know that our house has been sold in Southampton because we want to know exactly how much we can spend. And uh, we're driving to Ipswich and still haven't sold our house. I'm thinking, oh God, I did, I prayed, I asked you, God. And then we're two minutes away from our first viewing. Sarah gets a call, your house has been sold, this is how much you have to spend. And we were able to look at houses that day and we ended up buying a house, one that we're in now. God answered specific prayer. I want to encourage you to ask God for specific things. Allow him to change your desires and work on your heart, but ask him for specific things. Then you'll know whether or not he's really answered them or not. So it's my prayer that our lives will be revolutionized this year. That when it comes to devotion to God, that we would be walking with him intimately, closely each day. That we'd be remembering that the basis for our prayer is not our own morality it's not our getting it right it's that Jesus got it right every day he never got it wrong that's the basis for our prayer that we would be planning but we'd also be integrating prayer into our lives that we'd be passionate about God that we'd be asking him for specific things that we'd be asking him persistently for things that we wouldn't we'd be not letting go of him until he relents and gives us what we're requesting This is what God would have for us. This is fullness of life, knowing him, walking with him, listening to him, spending time in his word, being devoted to him. Father, we're here this morning and we want to just say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that not only was he the perfect example to us, 
Not only was he the, uh, the perfect example to us of devotion to you, but that he's also made the way for us to be devoted to you. That he's made the way for us to walk with you. That on the cross as he hung there and cried out, why have you forsaken me? That that was for us the means by which we could know that we would never be forsaken again. That actually we'd know a father with us at all times. And uh, I thank you, Lord, that even though we've got imperfect examples of what a father is, that you are the perfect father. I want to pray for anyone here who maybe has just, this is not hitting home because of what they know to, to mean father. I pray, Lord God, that you would dissolve all that falsehood and that you would show yourself to be the perfect father. And I pray, Lord God, that you would stir within us a passion for your name, revive in us this passion for your name, God, a passion for being with you, revive in us a devotion to you. We want to be devoted to you in 2017. If that's you this morning, just as we did at the prayer and vision night on Wednesday, why don't you just declare with me, count me in. Should we do that together? Count me in. Count me in, Lord. I want to be devoted to you this year. It's you that I'm living for. I want to love you with heart and mind and soul and strength. Why don't you say that to him under your breath or in your mind? Just tell him now. You're going to be devoted to him. Lord God, we want to love you in reply to the great love that you've shown us. Lead us on adventure in prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. For anyone here, maybe you're here just with, whilst everyone's just engaging with God. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, if you don't know him, if you've never given over your life to him, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never said, no, Jesus, this is, I believe. I believe what you did on the cross was for me. I believe you rose again. I want to know God. If you've never prayed that kind of prayer, then just whilst people have just got their eyes closed and engaging with God, I want you to raise your hand high. So I want to pray for you. want to give your life to him at the beginning of this year if you want to go on this adventure with God know him as your father know your sins forgiven raise your hand high right now we pray for you let me pray for you father for those here who have made that response for those here who want to commit their lives to you this year and give their life over to you I pray that you would take them on an adventure with you. You'd show them your great love. You'd show them your mercy. You'd forgive their sins. In Jesus' name. If you've, if you've prayed right now for the first time, if you've, if you've responded to that, and you want to, I want you to tell someone. I want you to tell me or someone that you've come with that you've made that response. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in it.